Hi, Alex. It's great to have you on. Before we begin our conversation, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on as well. Uh, yep, I'm Alex Matthew. I'm a game designer and been a game designer for, for quite a long time now, uh, including school, which was undergrad and grad school for game design. Uh, it's like 14 years of making games, and I really wish I was better at it <laughs> by this point. Um, but no, so um, game design, uh, game development in general is, uh, is huge these days. Um, and some projects can be hundreds and hundreds of people doing programming and art and QA and and uh, all these different rules. But myself, I work on the game design part of game design. Like I work on what the player actually does when they interface with the game and how that's fun. Wow. So I know we were briefly talking about like there's a difference between like being the programmer and being a designer. Uh, for like just the simple one-on-one -on -one class, what would you say is uh, the biggest difference between the two? Um, okay, so let's let's take a game that most people know, Super Mario Brothers. So in Super Mario Brothers, you have a painting painting the scene. You have Mario running across the screen, jumping over little Goomba enemies and hitting blocks, eating mushrooms to get power-ups and stuff, right? That's that's a, a basic play scenario. The programmer would be the one that makes the objects on the screen move mechanically, like types in the code and tells the computer to move Mario this much when the player presses the button, right? that creates the structure of it there. Um, the artist, of course, is the one who makes the art, will draw the different animations and all of that stuff. The game designer is the one who figures out what each thing should do. Like, what, what actions can Mario do? Can Mario jump? Can Mario uh, kick something? Oh, maybe that's weird, no. Uh, what happens if Mario gets a, a power-up? Does he get stronger? What, is, what does getting stronger mean? Does it mean an extra life? The, the one who creates the rules and the framework of the world is the game designer. So then what kind of skills do you need to be a game designer then? Um, you need a lot of pattern recognition uh, and uh, a lot of, of ability to communicate experiences and, and player experience goals through systems, as well as just understanding systems in general. So like one thing we do a lot in game design is we, we go and do something weird, like say windsurfing. I've never done windsurfing. I don't know why I said that, but let's say let's say I go windsurfing and I have an awesome time. After that, a game designer likes to think about, okay, why was that fun? What was cool about it? Not just the exhilaration of of being on the board, but what about the mechanics of of trying to read the wind? How do you how can you tell where the wind is? Is, is it the way that the water moves that tells you that the the wind is coming this way or that way? Is it is it stuff in the environment that sort of pattern recognition creates a rule set and there you can start to create like if you were to make a windsurfing game or something based off that you have these experiences that you want the player to feel based on these things you've distilled um, then you start to build the rules together and overlap them so like those those sort of weird ways to to distill actions and systems into rule sets um, put those systems together. Uh, that's a that's a lot of a game designer's job. Also, like figuring out what's fun. You know how in the tech space there's like that user experience of like, hey, you have this app, um, and then this is how we we imagine the user to go through like x number of pages or like how to like how would I say that like um, the end goal, right? Is that somewhat yeah, yeah, similar yeah. To, to game design? No, you're, you're exactly right. Yeah, we, we have these things called player experience goals. And we create player experience goals 
to help guide the way we design the game. So whether it's in a large game itself or within the level or within just like a small thing you want the player to do, like, oh, this is how I want the player to feel when they do this, or this is how I want the player to think about things as they move through the level. So you expect the frame of mind of the player and what kind of frame of mind you want them to to move towards when they interface with the systems and the rule set of the game. Does that does that mean you also control like their emotions as well? Yeah, I mean, like all art kind of manipulates emotion, right? Uh, so we use music a ton, which is a huge manipulator of emotion, and we use um, different types of mechanic design that like have the player try different things. Like a, a big thing that we deal with is um, tension uh, and we there's there's this classic thing it's the the idea of flow where you have uh skill versus difficulty if difficulty is too high when player skill is too low then the game's not fun if player skill is too high when difficulty is too low then the game's not fun you're just too good at the game so the flow of the game, that, that that sweet spot when it feels really good, is right in the middle. And um, that that bit of flow and maneuvering through that, getting the player to get into that sense of flow, getting the player to find a new challenge that they haven't they haven't uh, interfaced with before, that all kind of like stresses the player out in good ways. Right? You, you, of course, don't want them to get so frustrated that they leave, but you want them to feel that bit of tension and that, that feel, feeling of like, oh, how do I get through this? Or, or what do I feel about this? So, so we play with, with player emotions all the time. How do you determine when to make like, a challenge or a level more difficult? Because I'm thinking, uh, so I recently started playing Overcooked yeah, so with my family, and my mom is just, she struggles. <laughs> and, uh, like, my brother and I, we're like, oh, it's, you know, it's a lot, it's a pretty simple. There's, a, a like, the controls. But she says it's, it just keeps getting harder from level one while we're thinking, like, oh, you know, that's okay. Like, um, is there a reason why we experience, we have these different experiences? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think it has a lot to do with, with, game literacy, as we call it. And we've all been exposed to games and patterns from games in different ways and at different amounts through all of our lives. Like, I have been playing games since I was very, very little. I mean, my my mom was playing Super Mario Brothers while she was pregnant with me. So before I was even born, I was I was playing games. So it's it's really easy for me to understand what I think the designers want me to do in a place. But someone who's brand new to games, someone who's who's never played and, and wouldn't understand the conventions that a lot of games depend on, it's a lot harder for them. So there, of course, are like the more gamer conventions. You could think of like, oh, there's a red barrel and you shoot the red barrel and it explodes. Like, okay, of course you wouldn't get that if you unless you played a lot of games. But then there's other stuff like moving independently of doing another action like that sort of that sort of tango that comes from uh using your fingers in different ways that's something that takes a lot of time to get used to and even even someone who's like played a lot of games like some of my friends who've played a bunch of of say final fantasy or or rpgs when i bring them over to play another game like a shooter it's like they're starting at zero again because it's a very different rule set. And there's there's a little bit that you can understand, like how to process the images on the screen, how to know, like to quickly look up for a health bar or look around or something. But all of that, is, they're skills that need to be learned. Um, so it's totally awesome that your mom's playing. I'm, I'm really happy. Uh, it just it just takes time and everyone learns at different paces. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so like this whole concept of game design is very new to me. And... I'm kind of curious of like, how did you decide or what led you to want to go into this space? 
Oh, cool. Um, so back in when when I was really little, actually, I wanted to be a game designer. I was I was like super small, and I remember there was this there was this cartoon of of Kermit, who they asked Kermit. He was baby Kermit. They asked him, like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And he said. A game designer. I was like, that's just like me. <laughs> when I was little, I really wanted to make video games. But then I saw the process of making video games, and it seemed boring to me as a child. Like, I didn't want to be sitting in a room all day. I thought I'd just be, like, sitting in front of a computer programming, and that seemed super lame. So during um, middle school, beginning of high school, I was training to be an aeronautical engineer. I wanted to be an astronaut, actually. Uh, so I, I was putting a lot of time into that and focusing a lot into physics and stuff. And uh, then I played this game called Shadow of the Colossus. And this game, it, it made me realize what you can do with games. I was thinking about video games in a very different way. So I'll, I'll tell you a bit about the game. Um, you are playing as this character who your loved one has died and is this horribly heartbreaking. You really wish you could bring her back. So you take her into this sealed land, riding horseback through the mountains to this place where no one is supposed to go. And you bring her body and lay her onto an altar. And this god calls out to you and you tell the god that, I want to bring her back to life. I will do anything to bring her back. And the god goes, go out into the land and kill the 16 colossi, the 16 great beasts that live in this land, and, you'll, and I'll bring her back. So, of course, you're like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do that. I mean, I want to bring her back. So you go off and you find the first colossi. There's nothing else in this world. It's, it's this large, barren, quiet, sleeping world it's sealed there's nothing there there are no towns people there's nobody else in the place there are a few like lizards going around in a bird but but it's empty it's you riding your horse alone you kind of find your way across and through some hills and along a cliffside until you come across the huge steps of the first colossi and the ground is shaking as it's near you. And you see this great big beast. And you think like, yes, ha I will do this. And you draw your sword and climb, literally climb up this thing. You find these, these spots, these glowing weak points on this thing. And you start thrusting your sword into this giant beast. And it falls down and, and dies. And in a moment that's supposed to be triumphant, that like in, in other games where you had fanfare music playing, this somber music starts to play and you're left standing there in a moment of silence as the music fades down, looking at this beast that was just alive, had nothing to do with you, laying dead. And these these tendrils of, of its soul like pour out from it and seep into your body and you get knocked out and you wake up again back in the temple and the god goes like oh great job you're wonderful you did you killed the colossi now just 15 more and you go like oh okay and you go and you kill another one and you kill another one but as you're going you you're realizing these things aren't they're not evil you're you're killing these things for your own selfish want to bring your loved one back. And I was playing this game and I was just like thinking about that over and over of like, I was killing these things. And it wasn't like I was watching a movie in which the character was doing this and they felt guilty or I was reading a book about it. I was the one driving that sword. I was the one killing them. And I felt guilty. So I realized, like, games have this amazing opportunity to tell a story with the player. It's not just one story from the designers or one story from the developers that, that you experience. You tell the story by interacting with it. And only through interactive media do you, do you get that opportunity to, to set up a mirror and allow the 
choices that you make as a player be reflected back at you and to to take a moment and be like is this me is is this the kind of person i want to be um now shadow of the colossus doesn't have open endings or anything like you can't choose to stop killing these things like the, the the journey of that game is about going through the motions and seeing yourself being consumed by this by these souls of of the guilt of killing these things and and twisting into something else like that's that's the arc of that game but it gives you a bit of that experience it gives you a bit of those shoes to step in Whereas other games are totally about your own story, what, what you do as the player and how you reflect back. Uh, so, uh, I mean, that was a really long way of saying um, I played that game and it freaking changed my my life. I I was just like, wow, you can make games like these. Like they don't just have to all be about like shooty adventures or 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 like saving the princess or whatever. Like you can you can tell a story that that hits at something core and 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 looks at something inside the player using it. So I was so fascinated by that and I really wanted to explore that more. So I uh I started studying game design and um then from there it's just gone. So out of curiosity, when did you first play this game? Like high school, college? Yeah, high school. I was I was like 16 or something. Okay, that's wild because the that that the way that you described that game, I felt like you just played it yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it left a big impact on me. Yeah, and so knowing that you played that game, um, and then that kind of sounds like that defined your professional career. Um, I've noticed that the games that you've worked on have a similar feel to shadow of the what is it, colossus yeah um because i know that you sent me a few and the first thing that i thought was like the sense of mystical self journey maybe like finding yourself uh is that something that you that's like the game preference or like genre you like or it just happens to be like oh these just happen to be all the games that i worked on no you're, you're totally right like I first was definitely seeking out um, working on similar games. So any opportunity I had to work on a game that was touching on similar themes, or I, I of course, grew up playing the Legend of Zelda series, which is that classic adventure. So that feeling of adventure, that feeling of like bright-eyed wonder as you explore the world with a more emotional paintbrush, like I, I re really love that. So uh, the first few games that I professionally worked on outside of my internships were trying to focus on that. Um, since then, I've been dabbling in other areas and exploring different genres and uh, trying to find new ways to express stories, as well as hone my craft. Um, when when I was back in college, I was so focused in like the the exploration of of game design as art and and pushing the narrative side of things that I didn't get to work on the craft side of it as much, like understanding how mechanics work together and and how do you use specific things to elicit specific actions or as specific motions. So uh, so I was able to like, when I work on a game like Naruto, um, it's like a fighting game with, with known characters that have to act a specific way. There's not much room for me to explore the emotional ramifications of Naruto using his Rasengan or something. But, <laughs> but it, it lets me figure out like, okay, what is, what feels better? Like, how how long should these animations run before uh, you really feel the impact of the hit? Or like, what what makes a, a player feel tired when they move? What makes a player feel feel sad? And like, I, I get to explore these weird things in, in other ways. So, so like, I, I branch out a lot now. So then, I know you can't specifically say what you're working on, but yeah. is the genre similar, or is it different? Mm. Okay, the one I'm 
the one I'm working on right now is it is kind of similar to to these games, but not it's more action focused. Yeah. Um but it, it it's uh it's a freelance gig right now that I'm I'm helping out on. Um and the, the team is really cool. Uh it's this weird mix of of Japanese and Western developers. And I'm one of the few people that speak both languages. So I'm this like crazy go between for everything. Uh and uh it's it's been really cool. But because I'm a freelancer, I have I have a very specific amount of stuff that I'm in charge of. I, I work on the the player actions, everything that the player can do, that the hero character. Um, so I don't really get to touch a lot of the the stuff that I would be able to do on a smaller game. Oh, this is a this is a gigantic game. It's like a really big, tons of people game working on it. Whereas the other games that I've sent over, um, there may be teams of like 20 to 30 people at max, and all the way down to like six people at smaller. So they're they're much smaller games. This this is a, a very large game. Okay, well I think we forgot to mention that you're currently in Japan right now. Oh yeah, hello. I, I live in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that would be important to know because people are like wait half Japanese team, half like um, international global. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're also a freelancer. So for people curious, like what led you to come to Japan to? maybe A, be a freelancer, or was there another aspect that led you to come there? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've been to Japan a bunch of times. Like, I came over when I was a little kid because of my father. He worked a lot in Japan. Uh, then I came over again during study abroad, and I came over again to live on a tiny island in, uh, down in southern Japan. Uh, and then... Finally, this time I came back because I was uh, given a job offer from a Japanese company. So I came to work with them. Uh, then through them, I worked at a few different places. Uh, and then I was working on a really large project. I was leading a project. And because of a bunch of crazy things that happened, we had to shelve the project. So. I I left the company and I decided to just do some freelance stuff, um, help out a few teams that I knew. And uh, I was doing that for a while. And one team asked me for help uh, on this very large part, the, the player action part of, of their game, um, as a recommendation from someone else I knew. And I took it and I've been doing that for a while now. You mentioned before to me that you're an action director on this project. So what does that kind of like day-to-day look like? Um, all right. So let's imagine a game like Legend of Zelda. I can say that because I'm not working on Legend of Zelda. So there's nothing, to, sadly, um, uh, but uh, there's nothing to spoil there. So in the Legend of Zelda, you've got your main hero, Link. He's that little elf-looking dude. He's got a sword and a shield, right? Um, when the player presses the attack button or any other button, Link does an action, right? Brings up a shield, swings a sword, throws a bomb, all these different things. My overall job is to figure out all of those things that Link can do and how they interact with the world. Then once I have all of those things planned out, I work with the other designers to see if that fits. So I talk to the combat designer, and I'd be like, or I mean the, the enemy designer, because I'm the combat designer. I talk to the enemy designer. I'm like, okay, so I really want Link to be able to uh, throw his his boomerang uh, and and like hit enemies with it. Is there a way that we can have enemies that that will like open their mouth for a little bit and expose a weak point to let the player time that hit. I have like conversations like that. Or I talk to the mechanics designers and I hear from them like, oh, we really want to have a new system where the players can find items in the environment and wear them for a small amount of time. So Link can wear a spinny hat. And when he spins the spinny hat, he floats a little bit. 
So it's like, oh, I have to figure out how that works. So conversations with other designers. And then I plan all that stuff out. Once I write documents of like how they work um, or how like the, the player experience goals of those should be, what should it feel like to use the spinny hat? What should it feel like to use the, the boomerang? I start working with a small team and I do a small prototype. So we, we make the spinny hat, we put it on, we, we like get how it feels to use the spinny hat and fly around and everything. So that's a really, really small team of, of sometimes just me, maybe three people. Then we have like a small proof, proof of concept for that. I go back to the game director and to the other designers. I'm like, hey, this is the thing that I want to do for the spinny hat. What do you guys think? I get some feedback on that. Um, and then from there, it becomes a larger thing that's going to go into production. So I need to list out all of the pieces that are, that are important for it. All of the animations that I think will be need needed, uh, all of the ways that it will interface with with the other systems. Like I have to list all these things out. Then I have to meet with the animation team to make sure all that's right. We meet with the programming team to figure out a plan of how we're going to implement all that. Meet with like uh, the art team to see uh, how it's going to look and plan all of those things out. Then I send it to them and, and they start doing it. Eventually it comes back to me. I test it and check it. And then the loop continues from there. That is like, I imagine that there would be a lot of collaboration but it sounds like you there's just it's all about collaboration at this point. Oh yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. Um everybody kind of has a small thing that they they control. Um but for the designers, especially in Japanese companies, the the designers kind of have to touch everything. Um and they they always like check to see how things are going and go back and check and go back. Sometimes in western companies you have a lot more autonomy within the the developers. So you can come up with uh, some, like they, they sometimes don't even have like a specific game designer role. Everybody does design to, to certain degrees. Those are usually smaller companies though. So then I know that you've mentioned before that you work for both indie companies as well as like larger companies. Do you think there is, a, I think this might be a little leading, but is there the idea of autonomy is there is it does it exist more in an indie company compared to like a large company definitely in an in, in an indie company you wear way more hats like you like you, you do everything and and at least in my experience with the indie games i've worked on and the indie teams i've worked with um everybody is working hmm, i wouldn't say i wouldn't say this is 100% the case but a lot of time, if you're an indie developer, you are doing it because you you have a passion for the game you're working on. Um, and thus, you will make decisions for the best, uh, in, in a way that will best facilitate the development of the game. Sometimes that means that you cross over out of your your area of expertise a little bit. You do a little bit of design work, you do a little bit of programming work, and then you allow the, the person who's who's good at that to, to fix it and let it blend together. Um, in indie teams, you end up doing a lot of things. In larger teams, you can really hyper-focus. And like there's in huge, gigantic games, the Call of Duty or whatnot, like you'll have someone who's just doing reload animations for the whole development. They're just doing gun reloads, not even shooting the gun animation, just just gun reload animations. Um, and I've seen in big companies that people will focus more on their job than the game as a whole. So it's like, I want the thing that I'm doing to speak well of my work, but if I don't feel like this actually is that good for the game, then, I mean, it's up to the the designers and the the director to figure that out like i'll just do what's ordered of me the best i can so that's that's kind of the difference i i, I notice like yeah uh larger companies you'll get people who are really good at their stuff but they kind of silo a lot um and smaller companies you'll have people that will be stretched too thin <laughs> yeah that makes sense. And 
you know, for everyone who's listening, especially the ones maybe who are unfamiliar with games, do you mind just sharing like what is considered a, a large company and a, like a famous game out there and what's considered an indie, indie company and would we know a game like, would, would the general audience know a game of it? Mm, okay, okay. Uh, so, um, I mean, large companies, uh, they can be hundreds and hundreds of employees. Um, there's, I say, say a company like, uh, um, I mean, they've been in the news so much recently, Blizzard. Uh, Blizzard has uh, thousands of employees, and then it has a few teams underneath it that are focusing on a different game. And then, like, you'll have one game that is a few hundred, hundred uh, uh, team members on that game. Um, if if uh, the larger, like, that the big AAA companies, they're always going to be like hundreds of people working on a game. They're gigantic. Um, budgets are going to be uh, 200 million. Um, I guess at, at lower ends, you'd, you'd be closer to like 80 million. Wait, one, wait, one million. game production. Is, yeah. It could be potentially 60 to $80 million. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have 200 million um, for some games. Yeah, they're like, they, they get gigantic. Um, I mean, in, indie game production is like a million dollars. Of course, you have like basement games, the games that like people make on a shoestring budget, uh, just either by themselves or something. You can do that for, for way, way cheaper. But um, I guess an average indie game budget is probably like a million dollars. And an average like double A game uh, is going to be like um, six to... 15 million dollars and then like the the triple a quadruple a space are like a hundred million dollars they're gigantic would you know of an indie game that like maybe the general public knows of i mean you mentioned overcooked a second ago that's Uh, indie yeah that's an indie game um and then uh uh there was that game um uh, Undertale, that was so famous a while ago. Uh, there's, um, I mean, there's a bunch of games on the Switch that are are like little indie games. Hollow Knight. Um, uh, what what else are you playing these days? So, wow, I feel like this might be a little basic, but Stardew Valley. Um... Stardew Valley is an indie game. Oh, it guy. is. So I think maybe if it's okay with you, I kind of want to go into this maybe like one-on-one aspect of, you know, the idea of just like being a game designer, because I think as you would know, it's like game, just gaming and like the whole development process is like booming, like a booming industry. And I think at the same time, like maybe it's a little too maybe hyped when maybe people don't really truly know like what goes into it. So I would just, I would just say like, you know, people are passionate, but at the same time, people should also maybe be informed of like, this is what you actually do rather than think like, I'm going to make yeah, a good yeah. game and like, that's it. Ah, yeah, yeah. I, I get that. I get that. Um, okay. Well, um, I guess one thing, I don't really hear this anymore, but when I was first thinking about becoming a game designer, there was always that, like, oh, so you just play games all day? Um, I I don't really have much time to play games. I, I make sure I make time to play games. But a really important thing about being a game designer is you can't just play games. Because if you only play games, you only make games about games. And that that narrows the experiences that you can create so much. So it's really important to spend a lot of time as a game designer exploring these different systems, going windsurfing or like doing these other things. So that's just like the, the stuff outside of, of work. When you're working, um, a, lot of the, a lot of the dance that comes with, with making a game is figuring out 
the business side of the game as well as the artistic side of making the game. Like you may have a story that you want to make, you may have an experience that you want to make, um, but you also have to deal with like, okay, how is this going to fit in the market? How is this going to fit with the games that are being made? How is this going to be received? How am I going to uh, market this or publish this or or, or advertise this? Uh, like there are so many, so many different pieces to that. So that's the next layer in. Then there's the actual development. And in the actual development, you have to first think of all of the rule sets that are going to, like the structure of the game, the systems and how they work together. Then you have to figure out like, how does that turn into code? Like how do you get the, the actual computer to respond to the inputs that you do? Uh, and you also have to find the right way to render that. Like what's the game gonna look like? How are you going to make the, 3D objects and animate them. How are you going to to draw your 2D art and put that on the screen? Uh, then you have tons of playtesting you need to do to make sure that the game is hitting all of your experience goals and testing that again and again and again and again and again. Uh, gosh, some of the craziest things is when you spend so long in a game and you go to test it, and people just tear it apart. You have to sit there, and I mean, it, you kind of desensitize to it pretty fast. But like, at at the beginning, there's this there's this desire to try to protect this thing that you've worked on. You're like, no, no, you just don't understand. This thing's not in yet. This doesn't. It's not there yet. You can't do that. You have to just let people tear you down. And you take the you take the things they're saying, and you have to find what they're really trying to say. They're like, ah, oh, this is so boring. It's like, well, you. If you trust your own design, you didn't make it to be boring. So what's failing there? What's what's making that what's making level three not fun, but level two fun? So like there's all of that. Um, and then you just keep iterating, keep going through all that stuff. And once you've got a solid core of a game, then you go back up to that layer to figure out how to sell it. And once that's all there, then you go back up to that layer again to figure out like, okay, so now where does this game sit for me as a company? Like, how does this define me moving forward? And, and do I get to be the artistic person that I want to be? Or or uh, did I make an artistic game or even not make an artistic game and just not making enough money now? Like, it's it's tough. There's so many, so many game developers out there now. And, uh, it's, it's amazing because of that. But it's also very, very busy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing that stood out to me was like you, you mentioned at the very beginning of just like how you have to study the structure. Uh, how do you like, what does that look like? Do they, like, when you initially come into the job, right? So do they give you like, Hey, you need to study these games and give us like a presentation or like, how do you understand how this works? Um, that's kind of an interesting question. <laughs> uh, I, every company does it a little bit different. So uh, some companies make you take a design test before you even join the company. Oh, what does that look like? When when I uh, when I did my design test for Namco way back when, uh, this was my first internship. It was all on paper, and I had to like design out a one-button game. I had to design out what would be the story of Pac-Man if Pac-Man had a story. To like write the whole stuff out, and it was it was really funny. A few years later, down the road, uh, I was um, applying for a game, and they asked me to build a small experience using some tools like a, a game engine, something you can download off off the internet, and build us an experience that makes us feel something. They would usually say like, uh, "Oh, we want a game that reminds us of, reminds us of childhood." something like that so then then you can you you have to create an experience you can take whatever you want download stuff off the internet build your own art pieces if you want but at the end of the day they have to have had an experience that reminds them enough of the prompt that, that they feel confident in your creation skills and that you can understand the analysis of the systems um then once you join a team there's a lot of like getting on the same wavelength the same consensus of the, the the team members, mostly the game director. So 
if a game director has uh, a, a vision for the game, usually they're inspired by that vision by a number of games. Um, for example, trying not to give something away. Uh, okay, well, let's just let's just say something random. Um, I'm making a new platformer game, and in this platformer, I don't want it to feel like Super Mario. I rather want it to feel like Crash Bandicoot. And it's super important for my teammates that are on this game to play both Super Mario and Crash Bandicoot to understand what are the things that I like and dislike about them. Like, is it that it is the directionality of movement? Is it about the rhythm of button presses? Is it about uh, the the way the game looks and sounds? Like, what are those things? So that sort of analysis is important. And then there's also just like being able to shorthand talk to people at the company to be like, oh yeah, that's that's like that moment in the new God of War when you do this and that. Like, it's a lot easier to say that than it is to say, like, oh, this is this kind of structure and this sort of setup and these sort of timers. Wow. Okay, it's official. This has a lot of psychology to it. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot. Actually, back in back in um, uh, school, I had to take ethics classes, uh, and uh, I took this one one class about game design and child development and how they they fit together. That was super cool. I, I learned so much. Uh, any anything you recall from that? We had this really cool thing. I was talking about the idea of stress, where like young children, they they have two types of stress in their life. There's like good stress and bad stress. But there's also like a, a neutral stress where they're not really sure what's happening. And depending on what has been more in their life to that point, that neutral stress can be perceived to them by good as good stress or bad stress. So it becomes kind of this spiral, whether it's like a downward spiral or an upward spiral so it's like so important in the first years of life to to make sure your child has a lot of good stress and you're there for them you help them learn and help them through these different experiences so we were building building these like game structures that were kind of built around that this idea of of these slippery slopes where where there's very defined things, and there are nebulous things, and those nebulous things are influenced by past experiences of the player. We just played like that. It was cool. Uh, this reminds me of the concept of nature versus nurture. Have you ever heard of it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think, like, both is needed, but the nurture part, right? Like, how, It's so important. It is. Yeah. Like, how are you raised? Like, what are your past experiences to um, determine, like, or it, it contributes to who you are now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And like, I I think about that a, a lot actually. Where I spent a lot of time playing games as a kid, but the types of games that my parents let me play because they were an active part of that. Like they'd play games with me, uh, and I one of my first memories is. Uh, uh, when I was really little and we bought a Super Nintendo and uh, my dad woke me up in the middle of the night to play Super Mario World. And we weren't supposed to play it yet because we got home so late. I was like, oh, no, we'll play. We'll play tomorrow. We'll play tomorrow. And my dad came and woke me up and he was like, let's play, let's play. I was playing Super Mario World with him. And like, I don't know. that like My parents made sure that the types of games I played would like help me help me make the right decisions. Um, so I really thank them for for paying attention to what I played. I, I think it's BS that, that people say that that games are, are just games. Um, they, they don't... Games will not make you a killer. Like, games aren't going to make you go out and shoot people. I know for a fact that that's true. But games do affect you. Games do change the way you perceive things, and and just like any art, they they are gonna sit within you, and they're they're going to give you different experiences and give you different ways to to uh, play and, and and analyze things. So like, yeah, I played violent games growing up, but I talked to my family about it. I talked to like 
my friends and my family about what was real violence and, and what was fictional violence and and was violence ever acceptable in the real life? And, and what kind of violence do we see in the world around us? Like those conversations were way, way, way more important to me structurally as a human than never playing a violent video game. No, that makes sense. Like I would say for me, uh, where I lived, I lived in a pretty er, like suburban rural area of Georgia. Yeah. And so I spent a lot of time playing, let's say Mega Man, Pokemon, Crash Bandicoot, like, um, crap, what is that other, the dragon game? Spyro the Dragon? Yes. And something about just, like, those animated games made me appreciate, like, the creative aspect. Like, I get sucked in. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, there's there's a sense of of play to it. And, like, in the same way that, that you can live hundreds of lives through reading books, I mean, you can experience hundreds of lives playing games you can you can do things and see things and and like when when you're when your pokemon faints like and you get sad like you get to get to feel that and i also feel like games have changed a lot over the last few years like especially indie developers have been exploring really cool ways to tell stories in games i remember playing this game years ago called um, Dysphoria by Anaanthropy. And this was, it's a very simple game, but it was just about trying to communicate the idea that it can be difficult for you to move around in your own skin. And, and it was about Anna's struggles with gender dysphoria. And, and the game itself, like, there were just these small mechanics of, like, you're like a little Tetris piece, and you're trying to move through a gap. And you have to, like, move in these weird ways. Or, like, when you go into a space, like, you, you look at yourself in this weird way, and you're confused at what you are. And, like, it's just a little a bunch of small little vignettes. But for a moment, I could, I could kind of feel that. Where it's like, oh, yeah, this, this resonates with me. And it wasn't an experience I could have had through my own life. So like games are are starting to explore all of these different spectrums of emotion and all these different types of stories because we're getting so many more storytellers in games. It's super cool. It it truly is. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I think we could definitely dive into this, but I know that um, we have to be conscious of time as well. And (laughs) my kind of like (laughs) no no no. I was so engrossed and I was just like, ah, forget it. You know, 30 to 45 minutes, let's just keep going. (laughs) But I am curious, right? So like you are a freelancer, uh, you're working on these different games. Like where do you see yourself in uh, your like professional career when it comes to game designer? Like we'll say in like the next couple of years. Um, Well, I think I'm probably going to stop freelancing in not too long. Uh, I want to get back to making through freelancing you get to work on a bunch of different projects but you're kind of always working on other people's projects um and i want to get back to working on something i can pour my soul into uh so definitely within the next few years uh, i'm gonna be there um in not too long from that i i want to be uh, leading a game again, that would be really fun. Uh, and there are some some people that I miss working with. I'd love to work with them again. Uh, Jacob is one of them. Um, our our buddy. Shout uh, out to Jacob. <laughs> yeah, uh, I miss uh, I miss having him make music for my games. So hopefully, I can work with him again soon. I should have pointed out all the all of the games that you recommended the music is phenomenal oh cool thank you thank the you. music is what get dick and i actually talked about this like the music is like one of yeah. like the main points that like helps you get engrossed uh, and like makes you yeah. feel so many different things yeah for sure for sure it's music so powerful uh it's amazing well yeah um okay I feel like we probably could go another conversation with this. Um, but do you see yourself 
continuing to stay in, in Japan or do you see yourself going, coming back to the States when it comes to like that kind of growth? Um, hmm. It's tough because I have a lot of opportunities open to me because of my skill set, but I'm also very picky on what I want to work on. Hey, 14 years. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I'm a, I'm a freelancer now, so I'm, I'm helping out some people that I, I like. Uh, but as I said, like I, I, I'm unable to pour my soul into the game in the same way. So if I'm working on another project that isn't my project, then it would need to be a team that I feel would want me to, to also become a part of their team, become a part of their family and, and us to grow the game together. So finding the right team is one challenge. And then finding the right game that that team is working on is another challenge. Like I, I want to find things that are interesting and exploring new things or, or are telling important stories or, or at least just like really quality stories. Wow. Well, I, I'm okay. I should, this is probably at the very end, but I said, wow, a lot just because yeah. since I'm very new to this, everything <laughs> is just so fascinating. So I'm sorry, everyone for like the 10 millionth time I've said, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, th thank you so much for uh, your enthusiasm. Uh, there are a lot of amazing, amazing, amazing game designers that I get to work with. So I feel like when I talk to them, I'm just saying wow all the time. Like uh, they're, they're, yeah, yeah. There, there are some people that are so freaking good at what they do in this field that uh, it's, it's amazing. Like uh, the, the future of, of games is super bright and not just in like a financial way, because. Uh, whatever we can make a ton of money as games but like the the stories that we can tell the the way we can like explore the relationship between the player and and the designer like that's so freaking cool it's gonna be awesome no i completely agree and i'm excited for your journey thank you yeah. and as we come to a close i want to say thank you again for coming on and just sharing your experience no and thank just... you so much yeah, I, I mean, I've truly learned a lot today, and I hope everyone enjoyed today's episode.